Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Shall Be Well. I'm Anne Boyd, host of All Shall Be Well, a podcast by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We're here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. Let me invite you into a conversation with Helen Lee, author and director of product innovation at InterVarsity Press. In the context of our racialized culture in which tension and violence is a daily reality, Helen and her co-author, Michelle Reyes, have written a book for families. The Racewise Family is a book designed for parents and caregivers who wish to imbue their family culture with sensitivity and nuance around the concept of race. Although the book is written for parents, I found that the wisdom within this book can be almost universally applied in the life of anyone who wishes to create a safe environment for young people to explore and grow in their ability to heal our communities from the devastating effects of racism. Helen doesn't shy away from the need for deep thinking and soul work on the part of the caregiver, but also suggests a number of very simple and practical ideas that could be implemented within moments. This book is an important contribution to our national and churchwide conversation about race, and Helen is just a delight to talk with. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. Helen Lee is the Director of Product Innovation at InterVarsity Press. An award-winning writer, she has frequently covered issues of race, ethnicity, and identity in her articles and books, which include The Missional Mom and Growing Healthy Asian American Churches. Helen is a frequent conference speaker, the co-founder of Inc. Creative Collective and Best Christian Workplaces Institute, and the producer of several podcasts, including Get in the Word with Truth's Table. Before we move into the interview, let me do a bit of housekeeping. We will be taking a two-month summer break here at All Shall Be Well. Our team will be resting and reconnecting and planning for the future during June and July, so we encourage you to catch up on back episodes Get some rest yourself if you can, and watch for our next season to begin in mid-August. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us. So Helen, you have co-authored a book with Michelle Reyes on the subject of raising a family in a way that is sensitive to matters of race and racism. Mm -hmm. And it's such a very important and timely topic. So can you tell me a little bit about how this project came about? Oh, absolutely. So uh, the origin story of the Racewise family in some ways has its roots in my first book. So I wrote a book, I think it was 11 years ago now, called The Missional Mom. Mm -hmm. And it was about just helping to empower Christian moms to understand what it meant to have kind of a countercultural, kingdom-oriented perspective on raising children. And one of the chapters in that book was about the topic of race. I remember when I wrote that chapter, I, I felt a little bit like, oh man, this is just barely scratching the surface. There's so much more 
that could be said. And this was back in, you know, 2010 when I was right. writing that book. So the years go by, I started working at University Press and kept feeling the need to see some sort of resource for Christian parents on the topic of race that was more fully fleshed out to understand this topic, which was so complicated and so um, complex. And it was hard for me to pursue that by myself for a number of reasons, time and capacity being one, but also feeling as the years went by that this is a complicated topic and it's a good thing to do in community with mm. other people. I mean, this no, none of us, none of us have all the answers or really all the understanding when it comes to an issue as complicated as this. So I just started saying, all right, Lord, if you want me to eventually write this book, you need to provide someone who would be a, a good writing partner. So fast forward to 2020, it was uh, February, 2020, right before the world shut down for the pandemic. Wow. <laughs> it was literally like the last event I had been to um, before everything just closed down. And Michelle and I, Michelle Reyes and I, um, were both speakers at a conference that Vivian Mabuni, who's the author of a number of books, had started uh, called Someday is Here for Asian American Christian Women. Mm -hmm. And I had known Michelle. I had seen her on social. We were connected in that way, but I'd never gotten a chance to meet her in person. So we met in person there and had a wonderful time just connecting in, you know, face-to-face -face versus avatars. And uh, about a month after that, maybe two months after that, I literally feel like the Lord put her name and face in, in a dream. You, it's, it's crazy wow. because I am not someone who remembers my dreams. I know we all dream, but I don't always wake up and know all the details, but I just felt like I woke up one morning, her name, her face just popped into my head. I truly believe that was Holy Spirit prompting saying, reach out to Michelle. She might be the person who you need to write this book with. So I did reach out to her and long story short, obviously she said yes to that particular invitation. And it's been a really remarkable, such a smooth, wonderful collaborative process. And she was exactly the right person who uh, I needed to partner with on this book. So that's how the book came to be. Well, let's, let's talk about the book. It yeah. is entitled The Race Wise Family, mm -hmm. 10 Postures to Becoming Households of Healing and Hope. And, um, I want to just ask you a question as we start. Mm -hmm. Most of our listeners are women who mm -hmm. are working or studying in academic or professional spaces, and yeah. some are parents and some are not. Mm -hmm. And although this book is geared for parents, I found as I was reading it, a lot of wisdom that I thought could really apply to anyone who is in proximity to young people, mm -hmm. like in the church or in extended families, or even in the college classroom. So I guess, what, what are your thoughts on that? What, how could people mm. without kids of their own benefit from this book? Well, thank you for asking that question because it absolutely, I think, and I hope has resonance with any Christian person who comes in contact with young people, which really should be all of us in some measure or form, whether we're parents, whether we're grandparents, aunts and uncles, teachers, or Sunday school volunteers, or whatever it might be. So many of us are connected, or most of us are connected with younger, the younger generation in some way, shape, or form. And I think that we all have that role to play in discipling and helping to disciple the young people in our lives. So I, I hope that anyone who picks up the book will find that it, there's uh, an, a basis of biblical and theological foundation there and understanding the topic of race and understanding how to unpack issues related to race and racial justice, ethnic identity, culture, all those things. And that can be helpful whether you're a parent or not. So that certainly was our hope going into writing it, that we were creating a resource that really had that 
foundation uh, to help Christian parents, but it can be, I, I believe, and I hope, well, whether you're a parent or not. Yeah, well, and I, I'm glad you brought up um, kind of the, the foundation that you begin with, because that is so, um, it's universally helpful. You mm-hmm. give um, just an overview of some key terms and ideas around racism, and you offer ideas about how to develop a biblical perspective. And I just was thinking about how it addresses the way as adults, we really need to educate ourselves before mm-hmm. moving forward uh, on these issues with other people. So can you talk a little bit about the ways kind of our own personal growth and self-awareness impact the process of building an anti-racist family culture? Mm. Yeah, self-awareness is the key. And I I, I like the analogy. Daniel Hill uses this in his book, Wide Awake, which is an, a book that University Press published. And that topic uh, was about just understanding white identity development, but he mm-hmm. uses the analogy of blindness and moving from blindness to sight in our own understanding of issues of race and ethnic identity. And I thought that was super helpful. I, um, I actually just spoke to a number of uh, Christian publishing professionals about this exact transition from blindness to sight and how so much of that begins with self-awareness because sometimes when we are, if you are a person who, for example, where you were born blind or you may not have even realized you had those blind spots, you need to have that awareness to begin to address yeah. it, right? Whether it's other people, often other people making you aware that those blind spots exist because we can't usually see our own. So that self-awareness piece is critical. Almost nothing happens until you have that uh, awareness that, oh, there are some areas of my own education on this topic that are missing or absent, or just have, I've just never considered or never been aware of some of these issues. And I feel like we saw that actually happening in the church in a very dramatic way, right around when the pandemic started, when there was all the racial incidents and unrest yeah. that led to, I feel like an amazing awakening, like an awareness. It's almost like the church became aware of its own blindness, blind spots in this area, and suddenly became, I don't know, awakened to, wow, the realities that they had not even considered or not been aware of or not been paying attention to for many, many years. So you saw a pretty big spike uh, of interest and desire to learn and a willingness to address that lack of self-awareness that might have been there previously. So Yes, absolutely. Self-awareness is so key. But I think there's part of that self-awareness is this idea of continuous learning, that we're never going to fully know everything, right? Mm -hmm. And having just the maturity and the humility to say that as parents and say to even our kids, I'm still learning. You know, this is an area that maybe I've gained some understanding, so I want to share with you what I'm learning, but you may be learning things and you can teach me from your posture as being a student and being surrounded by other people who may be very different from you. And maybe you're learning things that I've not even learned as a parent. So that learning process can go both ways with parent and children, both contributing in different ways as they just become aware to what the world is like around them and what um, they are gaining from their social interactions. Um, I, I'm going on a, off on a slight tangent to just mention that particularly for our younger generations, for our kids, the demographics are such that they are already growing up in a more multi-ethnic yeah. context than we are as, as parents. Um, 
we always look at that kind of 2050, the year 2050, maybe maybe it's actually come earlier now, like 2045 when the United States is supposed to be a majority non-white nation. Mm-hmm. But that reality is already true for the people who are 18 and under. I mean, right. it's already a majority non-white nation. So our kids may actually be bumping into some of these issues uh, and facing them themselves or seeing things that we haven't experienced. So sometimes that self-awareness comes from the kids, actually, not yeah. just the parents. It seems connected with this, that emotional literacy plays Mm -hmm. a really crucial role in so many ways, you know, in just in the ability to tune into the challenges of others and in grieving the problems in our communities, and also just in taking care of our own minds and bodies and souls. So Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about how emotion plays into this work. Oh my goodness. It's, it's key. And in some cases for many people, I do think kind of an emotional um, epiphany is often what begins the self-awareness process. Mm. So I remember hearing from a number of people, a number of parents um, during, especially, especially during the time of what happened to George Floyd and they were seeing um, continued incidences of racial violence against black and brown bodies. Mm-hmm there was a a part where their heart responded first. Like the fact that they were able to see and see with their own eyes and recognize the pain um, of the black community, community in particular. I feel I did something to so many people where that heart awakening is what led to kind of self-awareness awakening, yeah. if, um, if you want to put it that way. So the, the heart is it and the emotions are such a key part of the process, because I think that change is really hard for any of us in any era. <laughs> we just are creatures of habit or right. we get just stuck into our own ways of thinking and our own lack of awareness that there are different ways and issues out there that we we can be concerned of. And it's not until we have that kind of heart reckoning Mm -hmm. that change truly can happen. So I I think that God very much uses um, our emotional capacity as a way to help catalyze change. And particularly in this area, when it comes to issues of race, especially if we're talking about racial injustice and awareness to racial injustice, absolutely just being in tune with our emotional responses and then letting us, letting ourselves just sit with that so that we can see how God uses that to open up our mind and our heart and our soul is really important and super helpful. Yeah. I wanted to ask about um, current events. You suggest teaching kids to engage thoughtfully with current events, which seems so important and also just feels really hard to do well Mm -hmm. in our current political climate where news is really um, polarized. So what what suggestions do you have for parents who want to teach kids to become critical thinkers around current events? Mm. Oh my goodness. We could talk for probably (laughs) hours on that, but, um, well, okay. First of all, I would suggest, uh, number one, don't believe everything you read on the internet. We're always telling our kids, don't just take at face value. Anything you see as being the only opinion that right opinion or truthful opinion. So we talk a lot in our household about bias and how Mm. bias feeds into various ways that different news media outlets cover different things. And so even just to name that and to name the reality that there is is such a thing as a slant and Mm. there are different ways that plays out in the media, just to kind of recognize that. So our, our kids are aware that they have to stop and think before they believe and take 
you know, in fully wholeheartedly, whatever it is that they're reading on the, on the internet, because there is so much out there. And we have seen how much the media has been influenced and social media in particular has been influenced in, in very toxic and negative ways in the church and in our society. So we have to kind of bring that cautionary note up just to not necessarily embrace everything you see as being truth and what is truth. And so taking time to examine that together when the opportunity arises, when a, when a child comes in and says, hey, I read this on the internet about such and such, just to have them stop and say, okay, so where did you read that? And um, how do you know that that's the truthful perspective on this and might there be another way of thinking about it and just mm -hmm. asking asking questions to, to maybe prompt just a little more conversation because I think so much of the time we do just ingest what we hear and see in our culture and in the media and we don't stop to just ask the question and that psychological step that neurological step of even just stopping and pausing and asking the question does something it makes you realize oh Maybe there is another way to think about this, or maybe yeah. there is another way, another perspective on this. And even when we can find some of those opposing perspectives just to present as, what do you think? Like, here's another way of looking at this same issue, kind of painted it in a different way. What does that, what does that say to you about which one is right and which one is true? So it is about just taking those teachable moments when they happen mm -hmm. and just encouraging our kids, yeah, to stop and pause and just think twice, just think twice about what you've just read or what you think that that means or uh, what you're gaining, what conclusions you're gaining from that perspective, because often there's a, there's often more than more than one way to look at an issue. So it, I think there's just a lot of intentionality and asking mm -hmm. a lot of questions and a lot of conversation that parents can have that can help with that critical thinking step. Well, and the, I think I think we all can do that, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, not just kids. Yeah, right. It's really easy to slide into that. I was struck by a suggestion you give toward the end of a, you have a chapter on kingdom minded mm. living and you say, stop, then pray, mm. which feels so wise when encountering news, also social media, mm -hmm. maybe pressure to respond, you know, there's kind of a cultural panic to share your voice immediately about an yeah. issue. And I'm, I'm interested to know how if you know how you've cultivated this discipline to mm. stop and pray and how you've seen it, seen it grow in others too. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think that my own journey on social media has been one of maybe in my, I don't know, third, I'm going to date myself now, but may, maybe in my like thirties and into my forties, I, I do feel like I was more reactionary. Like I would often use social media as a way, even in my own processing, where I would kind of just like, I'd want to respond. Like, I, I feel like it was important to just say what I felt in the moment. And as I got a little older, <laughs> I feel like I came to a different place where, like, that's not, at least for me personally, and I don't by any means, you know, want to necessarily um, place any judgment on anyone else and how they use social media. But for me personally, it felt like, okay, um, I, I need to take a moment before I blurt things out as a reaction to stop and pray and think. And yeah. um, it's amazing how there are times when I've been like wanting to like react and respond. Something has just catalyzed a reaction in me. And I, I want to just respond with, with the first thing that comes to my head. Um, but that, that first initial instinct and reaction may not always be the wisest reaction. This right. goes back to that, our the title of our book, because I feel like, with, especially in this particular topic, 
depending on who you are and what your social location location is or identity is, there may be different things that trigger you for different reasons. And there are reasons to be angry and there are reasons mm-hmm. to be upset at injustice and brokenness in the world. Yeah. But at the same time, how can we as Christians conduct the way that we handle talking and discussing these issues in a way that is hopeful, that, that does lead to healing, that does lead to uh, a positive direction and not add to the toxicity of our world or of social media channels or um, of these conversations, which in the church, I feel like have, have become at times very toxic, very damaging to the witness of the church. And so for me, I think part of what is so frustrating about the way the church has been engaging in this topic is that there's been little of the stop and pray and truly understand the different ways to be thinking about this and a little bit more of let's just write off anything now that has the word race in it as being uh, damaging or dangerous. Um, Let's like, let's just walk away from anything that might be even closely related to something like critical race theory. And let's just throw it all away because it's too damaging to the witness of the church. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of a reactionary response. If you want to hear a little bit of my bias, um, I, I wish there was more stop and pray and, and just be open to having a conversation with those who might think differently about you than you on this issue, especially from fellow believers in the church, fellow Christians who are not in the same place you are in a particular issue. How can we stop and have those conversations that leads to an open dialogue and maybe better understanding and maybe less toxicity as a result. So I feel like I've gone astray of your initial question. Um, But this is is maybe the other thing that I would say along these lines, which is, I feel like that God has given us the gift of ethnic differences um, in particular as a conduit to his witness and to the growth of his church. And you see that in scripture over and over again. And so I feel like if we are continually acting or reacting in fear, that to me is not a biblical response. I feel like the Bible is really clear that God's given us a spirit of power and Mm -hmm. love and truth, power, love, and truth, not fear. So if we're reacting in fear, that to me feels like it's, mm, is that coming from the spirit of God as we have these kind of conversations, as we try to engage in these issues? Um, so that's when I think of what it means to live in a kingdom-minded way when we're talking about issues of race, ethnic identity, culture, um, racial injustice. Anytime we're reacting out of fear, I think we need to stop. Anytime we are reacting out of anger, I think we need to stop and pause and say, okay, Lord, is this anger truly coming from you? I mean, there is such a thing as godly anger. Sure. Um, there is such a thing as uh, having those emotions stirred and those passions stirred when you see true injustice and brokenness. Um, even such, I think it's still always wise to stop and pause and just yeah. make sure. Is what I'm going to contribute to this conversation truly going to be helpful, um, helping to move the conversation forward, or is it just going to add to the to the noise, so to speak. Yeah, there, there's definitely um, an emotional urgency that rises up and it does feel like it's in, in response to fear. Mm. I, I wanna ask you, um, this is a really specific question <laughs> that kind of it's um, rooted in an example in my own family. So mm. in my family, we, we are all, we're all white. We have 
to two daughters who are teenagers, and we do our best to talk openly about issues mm-hmm. of race and ethnicity, and we're all learning. Yeah. And um, I think we all know that about each other. But I can tell that my kids feel pretty anxious about making a mistake. They worry about using language that's unintentionally offensive or causing pain through their ignorance. Um, And I know that I feel this too. And -hmm. there's probably an element of white fragility involved, Mm -hmm. but it also seems like because our culture is so brutal around mistakes, Mm -hmm. that fear bubbles up. So I'm wondering how we can help young people and all of us really Mm -hmm. learn to take risks and grow in resilience around these issues, around errors, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. We need safe spaces to process Mm -hmm. these issues and to have these conversations where we know that if we, if we do make a mistake and we all will, um, we know that we won't be rejected or canceled or somehow publicly humiliated. Um, So obviously your family, I imagine, is already a safe space. But then for any family that's feeling this and wanting more of those safe spaces, I have to imagine that they have relationships that they are building um, with a diverse community, hopefully where they can start to have some of those conversations and ask questions where they know they'll be they'll be safe to, to ask them. So it begins, I think, in relationship. It begins yeah. in relationship with, hopefully, with uh, people who are unlike you. And this is where it's very different, where it, where it can be very difficult for us in the, in the church because studies show that, in general, human beings, they just gravitate towards homogeneity. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a social phenomenon that is proven. And even in what's considered like more diverse settings, what studies show in schools, in diverse schools, is that no matter how diverse a school gets, that actually can reinforce more of the homogeneity as people who are alike kind of find themselves with other people who are alike. And there's comfort in that. Yeah. So even evaluating, do we do that in our own relationships? And if we do, um, can we try to be more intentional in our own, in our own church context or our own communities to see if we can be just cognizant of those relationships and how can we start to build bridges with those who are different. And then over time, those can become hopefully relationships that are places where you can be safe to, to ask questions and make mistakes. Because those who know you, those who care about you, your friends um, and other people who, who, who you value in your life, uh, who you care about and who care about you will not cancel you if you make a mistake. Right. They will, you know, they will, um, they will still be there as your as your friends. Or if you offend or if you hurt, um, they can tell you that, and mm-hmm. and you can learn um, and make amends and move on and be uh, more resilient as a result in your relationship with those uh, who are different from you, even if you have those stumbling points along the way. So, right. so it's not a it's not a quick fix. It's mm-hmm. it's just again some of the words we've said already today is intentionality. It's time and effort. It's building those connections intentionally with those who uh, are different from your, your own family. It's uh, getting a chance to uh, even see who your children are friends with. And if they are already building those connections with, with friends and others who are different, inviting them to your house and just begin having that become a safe place for those conversations to happen. It's not, it's not rocket science or anything revolutionary, but it's, in those small steps of day yeah. by day building those relationships that 
those places and those people can become safe for whom you can have those conversations that can be difficult. Um, churches can really help with this. I mean, I don't know if, um, I don't know how often pastors and church leaders are, are even thinking about this issue, but creating safety in their churches to talk about issues that can be contentious, like race, even like politics. Like, are there ways that our churches can normalize what it means to have healthy, productive conversation where it's safe because we are in the same Christian community and right. we care and love one another and we are bonded by the love of Christ. So it is a safe place in theory to be able to have these hard conversations. How can we model that for the people in the congregation and for our kids? Uh, that's an intention, intentional step that pastors have to take to create those safe spaces in our churches. But I hope that more and more pastors are trying to do that, especially as we see the church more fractured and divided uh, on issues like race. So Helen, all of this work is so important, but it I'm also struck by how weighty it is, how, mm. you know, how, how intense, how much time investment goes into doing this well. Mm -hmm. And at a time when I think parents feel so busy, so yeah. full, um, but it doesn't seem like the way to do it is to use this as yet another thing to do, but more right. to integrate it into your whole life. So mm -hmm. how, how have you seen this done well in families? Mm. I feel like one principle there is to not, as you just said, not to think of it as adding another thing, which feels overwhelming, but how do you look at your current patterns of life and how do you make little tweaks that can make a difference? So for example, if you're someone who maybe you, you love to read or maybe you love to listen to podcasts or maybe you love watching certain television shows or movies, is there a way that you can just take an inventory of what it is you're reading, who it is you're listening to, what you're watching? Mm -hmm. And are you noticing any patterns where maybe you're general tendency is to prefer um, authors from a certain cultural background or certain ethnic background or certain racial background. Um, just tracking even those patterns and saying, oh, wow, my reading list is pretty much almost entirely white authors or my podcasts or mm, I'm listening to really just only people who are from whatever particular mm -hmm. group you want to name. Can I just start to just be intentional about adding a little diversity to that. So I just brought in my own horizons and my own learning. I mean, it's not changing your behaviors. You're still going to go, going to read or you're still going to listen. You're still going to watch, but now you've at least made an observation about where your, where your inputs are coming from and who you're listening to, who you're reading, who you're watching. And those little tweaks can start to make a difference um, because now you're aware. So that's not a lifestyle change, really. You're still doing the same things you have been doing before, but you're adding an element yeah. of understanding, of, of intentionality, there's that word again, mm -hmm. um, where you're trying to help to shape your own self-awareness and your, your own learning experiences. As you look at uh, the cuisine you eat, I mean, food mm -hmm. is a great way that families can try to just start to get an understanding of what their norm is and then what other particular ethnic groups enjoy. And that's a very, very simple way that a family together can say, okay, well, we eat out once in a while or we order once in a while. Um, is it 
time for us to change things up and just try Mm -hmm. something new. We get all stuck in the same particular kinds of foods or the same particular kind of establishments. And maybe you have already been eating whatever it might be, Korean food or Chinese food or name your ethnic cuisine, but maybe it's time to try something different. Try something you've never tried before. Try a different restaurant you've never tried before. And again, it's not doing anything extra because Every family usually has those moments where they want to eat out or have a break from cooking. Um, so how can you leverage those moments and with intentionality, just find a way to expand your culture horizons a little bit. Um, things like that. So I, need, I, 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 I know that it feels like it's something it might feel like the things we are talking about in the book feel like, oh, no, it's another thing. Um, but it really is. And that's why we kind of use the word postures. It's not really about having to do more. It's just about having a different posture towards mm-hmm. the things you are already doing doing that will result in greater appreciation for all of God's creation, greater creation, uh, greater appreciation for the ways that God has uniquely designed um, each one of us and different cultural groups. And the healing over time will come, not that we have to solve it all ourselves as the church. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't know if I wrote about this in the book, but I love when you're looking at the very last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, you see this wonderful picture of the Holy City and you see the river of life and you hear and you read um, John writing about the, the, the trees that are there, the tw- like the 12 crops of trees that are there on the sides of the river. And this one line has just stuck with me. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. This is in the eschaton. We are, you know, we are at in this wonderful time when all is well, and yet we're, there's still healing mm. that needs to happen. And so we can trust that this work that we are doing now and this, this spiritual work we're doing now, it will be brought to completion, but it will take time. And God will do his healing work. He already has a plan to do that. So We don't have to worry that um, we have to solve it all or fix it all or do it perfectly. It's not going to be done perfectly. God will take care of anything that needs to be taken care of so that we all do reach that full point of healing. The nations will be healed, all ethnic division, all racial strife, all that brokenness. It will go away and God will do it. Um, But he wants us to just come alongside and participate with him in this side, in this life, on this side of heaven, um, so that I think we can experience the blessing of what that is like. And so we can see what happens in terms of the furtherance of his witness and mission, which I think as a Christian is one of the most exciting things to get to see. When you see God's work in healing people and healing brokenness around you, that is so for me and my soul, it's so, it's so encouraging. So I think it's less about doing one more thing, doing one more thing. It's more about, we get to participate in God's healing work on this side of heaven with the knowledge that he will bring into completion. And it is such a blessing when we get to be a part of that work and not an obligation. Well, Helen, as we wrap up, you've done this a little bit already, but I want to ask you for some more super practical action steps. I mean, I think I can give the first one, which is by your book, because you have (laughs) a lot of practical ideas in the book, but what could a listener to this podcast do tonight to enrich their family's ability to celebrate diverse cultures? Mm, Yes. We talked about some ideas already. I Mm -hmm. do. 
there is a, so there's an assessment in the book yes. that will help with some of the things that we were just talking about. And we just, it's, we just devised it ourselves. It's called the multi-ethnicity quotient. It gives you a chance to look at these very specific areas of your life, whether it's things like consumerism, like we were just talking about earlier, mm -hmm. like media you consume, for example, or aspects of your community life, aspects of your Christian life and so forth. It's a very simple, quick, probably five to 10 minutes of your time. But as you go through that, again, what I think it does is just build awareness of, oh, these areas of my life that I didn't really even think of that could be relevant for my understanding, uh, my racial understanding, my ethnic understanding. Uh, that's what that assessment tries to do is just to give you a place to have better awareness. Because again, mm -hmm. we, we started this conversation talking about right. self-awareness and that's a, that's a really important place where all this begins. I think I use the word tracking. I learned this is an university Christian fellowship word. So I think it's appropriate to mm -hmm. bring it up here. But uh, I had just gone not too long ago through um, diversity training that University Christian Fellowship has developed. And it's wonderful. It's really, really fabulous. And one of the things they teach you, which anybody can do, is the skill of tracking, which is noticing self-awareness again, mm -hmm. noticing without judgment. Noticing without judgment. So for example, if you are, say, at church or at school or, or, or at work, starting to just notice particular observations that may have, that have to do with um, race and ethnicity, just notice. For example, in the room, do I notice that it is majority white or all white? Do I, do I notice in this space or that space that those who are from, um, do I notice that those who are people of color are the ones who are not saying anything? Do I notice that in the representation of the leadership of my school board or my, my church deaconate or whatever it might be that there aren't any people of color? Just noticing, noticing and being willing to even verbalize, you know, again, without judgment, it's not your, that you're trying to be critical. It's just, I just notice, I'm just tracking, I'm just tracking that this is happening. I'm just tracking that. So far, we haven't heard from anyone who is not white. Just being willing to name that is a really important skill because it just stops everyone from just the normal cycle and it forces everyone to think. Mm -hmm. As we said earlier, just to stop and think. So much of what happens in our world today just happens because there are systems and structures that have been well-established that have never been challenged. And so things just keep going on and going on. So if you are able to just stop and track what's happening, without judgment, just track and notice that just that alone, that one skill opens up so much awareness and understanding. Yeah. Anyone can do it. Child, adult, anyone can do it. So that's a skill that I would highly recommend and just a very practical step you can take. Well, there is work to be done in healing divisions in our world. And I, for one, am glad for contributions like the RaceWise family to help support this good work with honesty and hope and practical tools. In fact, if you would like to take the RaceWise family assessment that Helen mentions in the interview, you can find the link for that in the show notes. We hope you can also find some extra rest this summer, and we'll look forward to being back with you here at the podcast in mid-August. And if you listen all the way to the end of the credits, I've included a bonus from our interview where Helen offers some sound wisdom on our need for community connection as we work together to heal 
racial divisions. All Shall Be Well is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at our website. To ensure others will find and enjoy our podcasts as well, please consider rating and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with others. And as we close, listen in on these words from Helen about the importance of community. So I I think when it comes to the topic of race, because it is, it feels uh, so tricky and it feels dangerous and it does feel scary. This is the kind of book that we hope uh, that you'll read with people. It could be mm-hmm. one other person. It could be a, just one friend so that you have someone to dialogue with that will just help you process. Uh, you could read it with a group of parents, a group of friends, a group, a small group. We would love to see people read this together with other people because then I think it just brings the stress level down, the fear right. level down, create a safe place. We talked about that earlier, about how important it is to be in places where you can just feel safe to have tricky conversations without judgment. That's a key thing that I think I want your listeners and any readers to, to try to adopt as they move through either the book or just this general cultural conversation mm-hmm. about race is to be able to find places where you can do it without fear and without judgment. Cause that is what keeps any of us from progressing in our own understanding. It's, it's fear. It's, uh, it's this, it's this worry that we're going to say the wrong thing as we talked about earlier. And it's judgment from other Christians who may, for whatever reason, feel like this is just too contentious for us to even touch. So find those safe people, one person, five people, a group, whatever it might be, find or create those safe Mm. spaces where you can have the kind of conversations that will help you move forward and help the church move forward in this area.